Welcome to the Man Talk Show, training for men, answers for women. I am Connor Beaton, and joining me today is John Beatty. Now, John Beatty has climbed, wait for it, to the top of the tallest mountain on every continent, <laughs> including Mount Everest. During the nine-year adventure, he somehow survived avalanches, pulmonary edema, tribal warfare, and a whole lot of cliff bars. He's a worldwide adventurer who has traveled to 65 countries, written three books, and given live presentations to nearly 1 million live teens and middle school audience members. His new book called The Warrior Challenge, Eight Quests for Boys to Grow Up with Kindness, Courage, and Grit uh, is out soon. And so we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, one of the main pieces that I wanted to talk to John about was the idea of resiliency, what that means, because clearly... Uh, you have to have a bit of resiliency to climb the tallest mountain on every single continent. Uh, so we talk a little bit about his adventures. Uh, he recants some stories of being on these missions, what he learned about uh, becoming resilient and uh, infusing compassion with that. And then we we talk about the the age of what boys are going through in today's culture and uh, how we can create initiatory experiences for young men. And so I've had a lot of people reaching out about resources for their young boys, uh, single mothers and parents and fathers asking like, what do I need to do? How do I support my son? What does it look like? You know, and so we're going to dive into that towards the latter half of this podcast. So this is chock full of some great resources. Don't forget to take some notes. Without any further delay, please welcome Mr. John Beatty. Connor, thanks so much for having me on. Excited to chat with you. Yeah, same. I am very much looking forward to hearing some of your stories after doing a little bit of background research on you and watching a couple of your talks and uh, just learning a little bit about your adventures. It seems like seems like you have some uh, just some lessons to teach all of us about the the adventure within. And uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the the warrior challenge, which I think is going to resonate a lot for the maybe some of the parents out there or just people in general. So before we dig into that. Tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Thanks for that. Great welcome. Uh, I went to South America in 2008 with the intention of climbing the tallest mountain there. It's called Aconcagua. It means white sentinel. And it's a 16-day journey that starts in the desert and gets higher and higher to 23,000 almost feet above sea level, which is you know the tallest mountain in, north, in the contiguous U.S., is 14,500 feet, Mount Whitney. So we're going up well over a mile higher than Mount Whitney. Hmm. I get to base camp, which is at 14,000 feet, and my lungs start uh, having issues. There's something that can happen in climbing, climbing called pulmonary edema. It's where your lungs fill up with fluid and you can just drown on the side of a mountain. My teammates say, we only have so much time. We only have so much food. We only have so much fuel. Stay here. We're going ahead. They go ahead, and after about four days, my lungs start recovering. Yeah, I'm strong enough to go ahead, and there's a medic there. It gives me the, the A-OK. Climb up higher, catch up to them, and we get up to the high camp. So it's one final push, one day before summiting. And I see this cloud. It's a lenticular cloud above the mountain. And from everything I'd researched, everything I knew about mountaineering, that's bad. That means massive storm coming in. Mm. And I see this team 
at about two in the, two in the morning, they wake me up and I see their headlamps flashing across the tents. You know, it's like we start, we climb through the night. So it's just black out. You got these stars everywhere. And I stick my head out of the tent and I say, guys, I don't think that this is the right time to climb. And they're like, well, we're going for it. So, and I was the last person to see them alive because the storm came and overtook them. Mm. Those two moments of my team going off without me was defining for me in a moment of finding my own self-sufficiency. And then seeing that storm cloud and deciding not to go, I guess I kind of left that part out. I went down and saw them go up and say, I'm also going to buck the trend and kind of think differently than what the, the group of people is doing in order to do what I need to do for me. Those were defining moments for everything that came next. And also those deaths, they had a big impact on my mental health. Um, and so sorting through that was in the end good, but it was harrowing when I was trying to figure out like, what does this mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've spoken with a few people that have, you know, climbed Everest or K2 or, um, yeah, I mean, countless other mountains and had some of their climbing partners not make it through and mm. some very interesting stories. And so I'm, I'm curious for you because that's, that's a big thing that a lot of us, uh, a lot of people deal with is the, the grief of loss. And I think specifically around you know, so, sometimes survivors, survivors guilt can be uh, present. And so how did you manage that, you know, afterwards coming back down the mountain and, and, you know, eventually realizing that some of these people that you knew were, were not coming back? Um, how did you start to face that? Because that's a that's a challenging thing to deal with. I managed it poorly. And okay. I faced it terribly. Okay. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, yeah it fucking sucked at first. Yeah. It, yeah, I'm glad we can say that. It was it was yeah. atrocious. Like it fucking sucked. And the the kind of key lesson that I also want to point out is you don't have to climb a mountain and see something like that in order to feel that. I think every guy, every man experiences some sort of wake up smack. Maybe it's a divorce or a breakup. Maybe it's getting fired from your job. Maybe you've seen something horrible happen if you're in the medical profession or a doctor, a police officer, if you've been in a protest or any of these things, like all guys at some point in their life face something that shakes them to their core. In all my discussions with like the gnarliest of gnarly men dude in the world and climbing all these mountains, I've seen, and this is why it sucked for me, is I did all three of these things also. I think that guys, when we're faced with pain, we try and tough it out and pretend that that pain isn't there. We try and nice it out and just like be this persona that we think other people are going to like. And then we distract from our, uh, from our, what's actually going on or we numb it out. And for me, that was drinking too much alcohol at times for other people. Like everybody can kind of like lean into their own way or method of numbing, whether it's food or pills or uh, drugs or alcohol. Like we all find something that's like, that's how I get rid of the pain. All of those don't work. And that's what I mean specifically when I say like, I dealt with it poorly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting because we have in some ways like surgically removed grief from our modern culture, you know, like yeah. grief is something that we largely hide behind the scenes. And so when we, when we've lost something or we feel like we failed in a, in a sort of epic way, that's generally the thing that we are trying that we try and hide the most, right? Mm -hmm. Shame and grief. I find it's just so fascinating that in our hyper-connected culture, we have largely extracted that uh, from from visibility, you know, from people's sight lines. When in 
in older cultures and tribal cultures, you know, when people were grieving, they they did it as a unit, right? Your grief was witnessed sure. by other people, and it was something and it, that and was, it was sacred. Like 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 pre in BC era, it was ripping your clothes off, right? You would tear your clothes off in grief, like it was that visible and animated, and your body would express that pain. Now it's like, oh, go off on your own, and if you got to cry, and don't let anybody see it. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you didn't deal with it well at first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad there that... is an upside to this story. <laughs> that is not yeah, the end yeah, of the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so I took this like poor message and these poor ways of handling it into all these other mountains until I get to Mount Everest. And I see a guy up close and personal who's frozen into the ice. He's on his last breath. And that kind of hit a tipping point where uh, it created post-traumatic stress disorder. So it forced me into therapy. It was like, I can't function as a, as a guy right now with this continual message. And I knew that something like had to change. And that was like my last option. Hmm. So after unraveling all these messages, I was like shocked when the psychologist told me, you don't qualify for these symptoms any longer. You know, I'd been in like a year and a half of therapy. And I thought like, oh, this is just something you have for your entire life. Uh, all these misconceptions like, oh, you have to be in the military to get it. Or, uh, and now it's like a very conflated term with like, oh, I stub my toe. I have PTSD whenever I get around a, a, a bedpost. Like, no, that's not what it is. Like, yeah. there's, there's a lot of education that, that needs to happen there. But through all, all this like vulnerable work, this saying, here's what's real. Here's what's honest. Here's what like happened in my past and who I want to show up as today. Here are the values I want to live by, basically defining myself. That's what led to the healing, and that's what cleared those symptoms. And now I'm like, I have a happy, fun, adventurous life that um, I'm I'm grateful for that whole process. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that a lot of men have some, maybe not PTSD, but certainly, you know, I, I talk a lot about trauma on the show. Depending mm -hmm. on who I have on the on uh, on on the show, but I also work with a lot of men who have experienced some form of trauma, maybe not capital T trauma, like what you're talking about, yeah, but, sure. but maybe a, you know, a, a small T trauma, right? So emotional abuses or some minor physical abuses as a kid. And I'm always surprised at how, again, how like little uh, literature and education that we have about things like trauma-informed response, you know, and how our body, our mind, our psych psychology adapts to things like trauma and then produces these automatic responses that start to fill in our behavioral patterns and allow us to sort of cope with this trauma that's residing within our body and within our mind and within our emotions. And so what were some of those things that, that you found to be supportive for you and, and generative for you as you went through this process. And then I'm going to go back to the beginning a little bit here because I, I feel like we're going... Yeah, yeah, yeah. we down the, the trauma rabbit hole, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like super straight in all of a sudden. So I hope you don't mind that. But what were some of the things that you found generative for yourself? Because I, I think you know a lot of people listening to this podcast, maybe it's not a severe thing like what you're dealing with, but I think that a lot of people right now are dealing with minor forms of trauma, right? Like they've lost jobs they've lost people i mean i know i know many people who have had children during covid and they haven't been able to have their parents come and visit uh their their kids and they've been isolated with their child they haven't been able to see anybody else 
um, you know, people that have lost parents and not been able to have a burial for them. I mean, it's just there's there's a lot of these instances where where people are struggling and not knowing how to sort of cope with these quote unquote traumatic or very challenging events. And I know those are different from what you experienced. Um, so I also want to honor that. But I think that there's value in just having a conversation around how how you sort of deface that and work through it. Well, uh, so I'm going to answer it a few different ways as succinctly as I can. The first one is that we all compare our pain to somebody else's that we think is more than ours. And then we discount the idea that we could have to deal with something. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I started researching uh, about emotional traumas and I, I found this article about the first responder who came into the Sandy Hook classroom and found all those children uh, murdered. And I'm like, I can't have emotional trauma. That's emotional trauma. I don't deserve to feel bad. That guy, like, so if somebody's out there hurting and you haven't had some death in the, like, close up to you or something really like capital T trauma, still, you've got something that, like, should be handled and dealt with. So mm-hmm. to the first part of your question, then, what worked for me? It started with these tiny baby admissions of pain exists. My whole mantra climbing mountains was there is no pain. I'm going to take every single step. I'm going to destroy my knees, destroy my hips, destroy my back just to get to the top. Like uh, pain doesn't exist for me. So just to tell people, I think I'm having a rough time right now. That's how it would start. And then it was like, okay, I'm going to go into talk to this therapist. And that was a huge decision just to even go sit down. And it progressed like that to now we have this conversation And I'm not like falling apart by any means when I'm like telling you that these things happen, you know, because it's like I've I've gone through this process, just these tiny baby steps of like, yeah, I think I think I might need to to, like talk to somebody. Just that tiny little admission snowballed to a point where it's like, hey, this doesn't hurt anymore because I've shared it with people who care and I saw that they care and they gave me the tools. And, And then one of the tools is meditation. That was a huge one feeling out my body. I mean, you talked about like trauma response being locked into the body, recognizing where that is and just observing and breathing um, and watching my breath. That was massively healing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so funny because a lot of the, a lot of the questions that I get from men is like, Hey, I'm dealing with anxiety or, Hey, I'm dealing with performance anxiety in the bedroom or, you know, these types of questions are like, what do I do? And I'm like, you need to learn how to work with your breath because your breath is the access point. You're the bridge to your nervous system. And it's like, no, 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 no. But like, what can I actually do? It's like, (laughs) right. It's like, it's like, I don't, I don't want to sit and meditate. Come on, give me the good stuff. Give me the good stuff. Like, 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 just tell me the, (laughs) tell me the sentence that I need to repeat to myself every morning or like, give me something different. I don't want to sit still and breathe. I want to do something different. It's like, no, this is actually the access point. So, um, okay. I'm curious for you, what do you feel like these, this, this specific experience initiated you into and what did it initiate you away from? Because I think one of the things that these types of experiences, uh, produce for us is a kind of initiation, right? And I think that oftentimes people view initiation as like, uh, uh, something that's going to improve you, right? This like, it's going to, mm-hmm. initiation is like a self-improvement tool. When in reality, initiation is is more of like a, a preparing us to be of greater contribution in some way. Um, at least that's how I've witnessed and experienced it. And so I'm curious for you, how did this experience initiate you both away from something and towards something? 
I had this huge idea that I was going to be this like megastar Everest climber and climb the seven summits and people would do this huge celebration. And once all these traumas started happening, it was like, that stuff doesn't even matter. And I would see the mountaintop and I, my mind would say, this is just a, like by the, the last few, this is just a cold, icy rock in the middle of nowhere. My family's not around. My friends aren't around. I might spend like a week with these other dudes who are on my expedition team. But I really question, like, what does this all mean and matter? So it shifted me away from this, like, pursue glory mindset. And through this work, it made me more aware of how common the, the, ma the current male experience really is with maybe in a different story or a different degree, but of this idea of, like, we tough it out, we nice it out, and we numb it out. And that was what eventually was when this book deal came to me and they said, hey, we were looking for a book for guys. We think you might be a guy to write it. I was like, it's going to be, it's going to cover these things. I'm, I'm going to go deep into it. And I think that's, so that's what, that's what caused, that's the, the shift did was like, I'm not alone in this and other guys go through the same thing. I'm not some unique snowflake that like has my own uh, story that should be celebrated. It's like, we're all in this together. Mm, I, I love that. I, um, I'm current, I'm also currently in the process of writing a book and I wrote a, a line in there just recently that, that we've been indoctrinated into the cult, into a cult. And it's the cult of specialness, mm. you know, that we, we are all sort of like, just so eager to find our sort of unique, you know, like snowflakeness. I love that you use that <laughs> yeah. word. It's such a, such a like <laughs> triggering word in our comments, this current society. It's like, oh, you're snowflake. Yeah. Um, well, I was saying it about myself. Like I used no, to think I know, about I know. myself, it's, right? It's, yeah, yeah. it's perfect. It's perfect. It's, it's, it's great. So I, I am curious to get a little bit of insight into like what drove you to do this? Cause like you climbed to the top of the tallest mountain on every continent. And yeah. for me, at no point in my life have I ever thought that that is something that I want to go and do. And I love hiking. I really, truly do. And so help me help the listener understand, like, where did this come from? How did you wake up? And like, is it something that you always wanted to do? Was it something that you were trying to prove? Like, help us understand the, the drive behind this. Yeah. To, we often say in the mountains, like, you either get it or you don't. You either have that mm. thing that makes you want to climb these mountains or we, we talk about friends and family, they're like, you're crazy. Like it's either mm. people who think that's crazy cool or that's just plain crazy to do that. So I've narrowed it down for me to three things. And I've thought about this a lot as I'm taking these slow agonizing steps to the middle of nowhere in the sky. And the first one is the cool answer. And that is, I felt like there was something bigger in me and I didn't have a measuring stick because we don't have rites of passages in our society. So I didn't have a standard to say, here's the tape measure. Here's how much of a man you are, really. So I was like, well, mountains could be the measuring stick. They could give me an altitude footage, like uh, meterage, uh, like height of here's how big of a guy you are. Now that, uh, like I said, I kind of dropped that front because then I started to realize I was going out on this. I was learning the basic steps of meditation. I would take a step. I could not physically take another step until I learned to control my breath. So I'm like, I could feel this line of energy come up my leg. And once it reached my hip, okay, ready for another step. I take that step and then breathe two, three full breaths before I'm ready to take another step. Like on Everest, you're a third of the oxygen level that you and I are breathing right now. So you have to learn how, like you're panicked. There's a 8,000 foot drop on one side, 10,000 foot drop on the other, and you got to stay calm 
and move at that pace as you like any exposed skin is going to be frozen within one minute. So you've got to manage all these things and be totally at peace for hours in those conditions. So it was moving meditation. It was like my yoga, really. And then uh, the third thing that drew me to the mountains was somewhere in that balancing line of like life and death and the most beautiful landscapes I've ever seen. And that camaraderie is where I found my own version of God. I think that the mountains are my cathedrals. I've never like fit in at churches or any religious organizations. But when I go into the, to the wilderness and I see these things that make me feel small, I'm like, suddenly my soul feels big. Hmm. Yeah, I, I get that. I get mm-hmm. that. I think I've, I think I've said on the show a few times, like being in the forest is my, is my church, you know, yes. sitting, sitting underneath a waterfall and getting pelted by freezing cold water or getting into like glacial water. And, a little Wim Hof style. Yeah. Getting, getting into the breath. is just like, that's, that's, that's the aliveness, you know, that's, there's, there's mm-hmm. a connection there. And so it, t- talk a little bit more about, you know, you, you sort of mentioned that we, as men don't really have these initiation or I can't remember the word that you just used there because I'm right. Totally rites of passages. Yeah. The rites of passage. Yeah. Right. And, and I think this is such an interesting concept and this, this ties into your book, which I want to talk about here in a, in a second, because I have a lot of people reaching out constantly about, you know, parenting advice for, for young mm. boys and, you know, in the, in a modern culture where, young men don't have rites of passage anymore you know even a lot of the institutions that used to be there like boy scouts are starting to be stripped down and and broken apart and right and those institutions are no longer there and the there is a a a sacredness to the these rites of passage and they, they play a very important role and so maybe tell me a little bit about how you define from your perspective of rites of passage and and how climbing was that for you a little bit? Because it sounds like it was. Totally. Um, that that was, I went from boyhood to manhood in that whole process. That was my self-imposed rite of passage. Ah, okay. Yeah. Because I, I think like I, I found that without my rites of passage, I started to seek it, you know, as yes. a, as a young man, as a young adolescent, like I started to seek it, you know, I bought at 19, a thousand CC motorcycle. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and started street racing and started uh, yeah. stunting and shit like that. And it was just like <laughs> pushing the edge and seeing how fast he running from the cops and stuff like that. And so that for me was like this uncontained rites of passage. And so where do you see young men struggling today? Because you've done a lot of public speaking at schools and for young young men and women, uh, young boys and girls around America, around around the world. Where do you see rites of passage sort of lacking? And, and what do we do? Like, what's, what's your perspective? So let's, I just let's go back and look at why they existed in the first place. Mm, so okay. in Tanzania, in current day Tanzania and Kenya, the Maasai tribes had their young men go out and hunt and kill a lion. If he couldn't do that, he was not a man of the warrior class then. In Brazil, they have a rite of passage where you have to there's a bullet ant. It's the most painful sting that exists. And one single sting will paralyze you. You'll be vomiting, convulsing in pain. Many people pass out, not just for a few minutes, for 24 hours, this pain goes on and puts you into hallucinations. They would not take one ant. They'd make a glove made of leaves, put the kid's hand into this glove and have the, <laughs> the ant sting the, 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 all over all those ants for five minutes. 
And they wouldn't just do this once. They do it like 12, 15 times before you're allowed to be a man. In Vanuatu, in the South Pacific Islands, they tie vines to the boy's legs. They jump off out of the 100-foot tree. And the closer the kid's head gets to the ground, the more of a man he is because he can face death. I could go on with these, but why did these exist? So back in those days, those were the greatest threats that those societies faced, right? Like if, if, you, if you as a guy can't defend your tribe from that lion, what use are you? If yeah. you're in the Brazilian rainforest and you're scared of these ants running at you and you then let your baby get bit, what use are you? You don't deserve to be here. If you're, you know, if you're like trying to hunt uh, an animal up in, the, in a tree and you can't get to it and you fall because you're scared, you can't help the tribe. You're dead weight. So we got rid of those because we didn't need them anymore, right? Like lions aren't a threat to us in North America. So I believe we need to look at the things that say, because guys have this energy, just like you had the energy of like, I got to get on this motorcycle. I had this energy of, I want to go to the highest points. And it's like, why do we have this? I think it (laughs) comes from the same thing of like, there's this energy that if we can harness it to defend our society from our greatest threats, that's the point of a rite of passage. So I wrote this book as a rite of passage to help young men from, for today learn the values that look after our society. Self-awareness, learning how to watch your breath, like we were talking about earlier, healthy boundaries, avoiding toxic relationships, equality for all human beings, um, grit and resilience. Like These are the qualities that help you to defend your society today. So I wrote this book as that eight-quest rite of passage. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think you just reminded me of a sort of concept that a, there's a depth psychologist named Francis Weller. Um, I think I've referred to him on the show, but he's he talks about initiation quite a bit. And he talks about how initiation, proper initiation is a contained uh, experience with death, right? Where we actually mm. come face to face in some way with death. And that trauma is often a an uncontained uh, experience with death, right? And so when you when you witness when you witness these traumatic experiences, like being at war and you know seeing one of your one of your friends get shot or blown up or whatever the case may be, it's an uncontained experience or interaction with death. And when I look back at at, at a lot of the men that I've worked with who have been seeking this rites of passage, right? Like you were on the mountain, and I was yeah. on the mountain on the on the motorcycle. We are in some ways trying to come into contact with this with this mystery, right? Of like, how far can I push myself, right? What's Where the border the- of death really is what we end up looking for. Totally, and with, yeah. without a guide and a proper rite of passage, it just becomes dangerous, uh-huh. right? Like, but if there's, a, if there's a clear path of like, hey, here's what you need to look out for. Here's where you push the line too far and a guide that helps a guy figure out what those limits are in a safe environment which is what rite of passages were back then, we, then it just creates the dangerous scenario. So I want I think that it's so important to bring this back, but in a way that's useful to us today. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of, I think a lot of young men are still seeking it, but they just don't have outlets for it. You know, they don't have men that are talking about this. They don't have experiences that are that are contained, right? That are structured yeah. in a way where yeah. someone is going to be there to guide them, to answer their questions, to say like, now freaking out right now is normal, <laughs> you know, or like, <laughs> right. it's okay. Like, or push yourself like a hey, further. it hurts, but watch your breath to remind you. 
Hey, like right. the 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 Mandan boys would have their finger chopped off, and then they would the guide would chop it off, and then say, "Okay, it hurts. Feel that pain and watch your breath, and and like hold your finger in your other hand." We don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just for reverence, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just for yeah, point of clarification. Um, but I think that parents can be that to young men today. Like I, I can't be that, but you could take your kid on your own on their own rite of passage. And you could guide them in the values that your family has or that your, if you're an educator, that your students have. Like, you can give rites of passages equally uh, today. And that's, yeah, like I, I lay out that formula in the book. And why, from your experience, do you feel this is so important? Because I can kind of hear some of my listeners and just people in the in the social media sphere hearing this conversation and saying like, well, why the hell do we need that? Why is that relevant? Why do young men still require this? And so I, I have my- Because yeah, there's I, a Me Too movement that happened, because there's man boys everywhere, because people complain about what dicks guys are. And that happens because we have this energy that has to go somewhere. And if it's not guided, then it turns either inward. You've got 78% of teen suicides are males. You've got sex offenders are males. You've got uh, school shooters, males, because they have this energy and it's not directed and guided. So if you're thinking like, why do we need this thing? Look around. Uh, Sorry, I got a little like... Oh, get it. <laughs> I got get into it, it right? there. I was feeling it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I, I would agree 100%. I think largely what we are seeing in, in our society, this sort of like bifurcation that's happening amongst young men is that a lot of them do not have any rites of passage. And they're, they're uh, you know, I call it the dangerous man or the predator or whatever you want to talk about, however you want to label it, right? The, yeah the the shadow aspect of our psyche is a big part of what i usually talk about on on the show that part of us is wanting to be worked with in some way and if we don't teach ourselves as young men how to work with it it will either lead us down a path of some form of self-destruction or as jung talked about it'll actually consume our ego and we'll basically mm-hmm. just become sort of avatars that are fulfilling the shadows or the the uh yeah the shadows goals right and aims and so and i think that's what we see a lot of in today's world and so walk, walk us through uh a little bit of of the 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 book so the the warrior challenge uh, is is the name of the book, Eight Quests for Boys to Grow Up with Kindness, Courage, and Grit. Where do you start? Like, I think you you talk about training phase number one, uh, uh, weapons mastery. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, where do you begin in this conversation with young men? Yeah, thanks. So we're having this like very adult conversation right now, right? Yeah. Like this would be way over the head of a tween, like an 11-year-old if they were to try and like grasp what we're talking about. So yeah. I wrote this in the form of a video game where you enter as a young man that a Maasai warrior is holding a spear up to your face and he's saying, like, you're going to hunt a lion. And then we, like, at the moment he goes off on the lion hunt, we pause and we break down what that lesson was. A step up as a man, like, you got to make a choice in our society, seeing our dangers. What are you going to do? Uh, are you going to step up? Or are you going to let culture decide who you'll end up being? Then we go into the next chapter, the second quest, and that's uh, you're in the shoes of Danny Wei, a professional skateboarder who jumped over the Great Wall of China uh, on a fractured ankle 
and he stuck the he did a 360 stuck the landing and he went again and again and again and i teach self-awareness from that because he would see my ankle's broken but this is a million dollar ramp built for me like cool stuff that kids are like oh my gosh this is awesome and you are danny way in this story and we break it down and say okay here's how to watch your breath then we go into values your baja 1000 off-road racer driving through mexico uh dirt flying everywhere uh and then this guy uh, uh dennis hollenbeck lost the race but he ended up get, winning more publicity and attention for his uh battered women's and children's shelter as a result of the attention that was drawn to him losing so this is about like how do you shift your finish line from what society tells you should be your goal or your values and put it on like what you choose to be the standard of your success like it's not the the checkered flag finish it's what you decide to be the success line for yourself which is integrity and values and your own what i call a warrior creed so we go like this through these eight quests those are the first three and we shift from like you said training phase one that's weapons mastery that's about yourself then we then we shift to here's how to deal with others so you go into um uh your communist escapee and your rock climbers climbing in the dawn wall and uh and yosemite and these teach like uh healthy boundary setting how to choose good friends ernest shackleton is about grit and resilience and then you're a civil war slave escaping uh on a pirate ship in order to teach equality and how to find your life purpose so it's like you are the dude you're the hero relating it in the language that kids uh, i think eat up yeah absolutely i mean i feel like uh back in back in the day i remember having a nintendo 64 i was a big james bond golden eye <laughs> i fan. was gonna say golden knight <laughs> classic the, the bobblehead right? mod was the best that was that was a good one right and you'd have the uh the 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 golden pistols right you had the the walter ppk7 and it yep. was the golden oh one. man i still was... have the maps memorized i want to go head to head with you right now <laughs> i want a tournament man you better watch out one tournament back it. in like, my day like <laughs> kids love video games and they just because yep. there's some adventure that's happening it's like that's a, a mini rite of passage if you've got a bigger question challenge it's written into the hearts of guys that this is what you got to do so i'm like if i'm going to teach these values there has to be crazy engaging stories that kids are going to actually read the thing yeah and i think i think what i really love about what you're talking about specifically is that it re-emphasizes the need for young boys to have quests and adventures mm -hmm. you know like i think about my childhood and there was a lot of adventures there's a lot of quests you know i was constantly boy scouts camping archery same eagle backyard. scout here yep yep right you know riding around on my bicycle like I just had so much energy. And so I, I guess I'm kind of, what I would love for you to address is one of the biggest questions that I get a lot is from single parents. And they're sort of saying, hey, you know, I have, I have a young boy, I have a 12 year old, I have a teenager. What can I do to support him? Like, what are, what are some of the main pieces that I need? And I think what I hear you saying is let's re-engage them in these rites of passage. Let's re-engage them in, in developing quests for them to, to embark on. So is that true? Like, what would you say to the single parents that are raising young boys and are like, I don't even know where to start. What do I, what do, I do? Because I know that they're different from my daughter, but I'm not really too sure how to engage in this. Yeah, I think that it's like, find the, the big challenge. And it doesn't have to be climb Mount Everest. It doesn't have to be 
stick your child's hand into a glove full of ants as much as you may want to do that if, Every if once you're in a while. teaching from home uh, all day as you're trying to work and they're on they're on zoom calls for education but it's it's like finding that next step up that for the young man in your life feels like is maybe possible not quite sure if he could do it but it would be really freaking cool if he could achieve that or if he if he was on top of the proverbial mountain, looking back down saying, oh my gosh, I did it. Like that's, there's some juice in that that guys just thrive on of like, I had no idea I was this strong. Maybe it's running a mile. Maybe it's running five. Maybe it's a marathon. Maybe it's playing a sweet song on the guitar and you you buy that like guitar hero game for him to figure it out because now it's like not just buttons like it was for us it's like actual strings now yeah we're dating yeah. ourselves <laughs> guitar guitar hero so it's like a teenager listening to this and he's like what the hell are these guys talking about and we're like right. <laughs> um but it's that next level up that you're not quite sure is possible but if you if you could f- do that thing or if you did it your confidence would boost i think that's like the core of a rite of passage um, so find that for the young man that's in your life. Have that have that open conversation of like, what would be awesome, what would be mm-hmm. so cool for you to do, and then and then foster it and build it. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And and I think the other thing that I would just add in is don't be afraid to push them outside of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I think what I have seen a lot of in having worked with just so many men now is that the men that aren't challenged when they were boys, right? They didn't, they didn't have that, again, that contained rites of passage, passage or initiation. They really struggle later on in life because they haven't developed that resiliency, right? They haven't yeah. developed that, that internal part of them that kind of gets a, a little, I want to be vulgar here, but I'm not going to be, but gets a little bit like excited about facing a challenge. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. great, there's a challenge here. I, I'm excited to go to battle with that. I'm excited to to engage with that in some way. And what I've seen a lot of is that young men that don't have that growing up that are, you know, given the participation awards and the trophies for coming in last uh, and are never really like told like, hey, I actually think you can do more, you know, and are just given the pat on the back and said like, you know, it's it's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. And not, I'm not saying that there's not a time and place to encourage and and comfort our our boys but but to actually push them just a little bit uh they often later on in life really struggle to face hard challenges because they've never actually developed the resiliency and the internal willingness and excitement to face those challenges so i'm curious if you like what's your take on that do you agree do you disagree have you seen that and 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 yeah, just just your just your take on that. You phrased it in in an angle that I hadn't quite put together so clear, clearly, um, but I I agree. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. You said it better than I can right now. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> nailed all it. Good. All good. Tell tell me a little bit more about some of your adventures because I am sitting here and 
and my curiosity is so piqued about some of the stories of your experiences climbing. And I'm, I'm hoping that you can just share some of your highlights. Like what were some of the top moments for you as you like where, you know, bring us to some of these places around the world that you climbed and, and what it was like in some of those experiences and, and teach us a little bit about resiliency and, and grit and how you actually started to cultivate that on the sides of these mountains. One thing I get asked a lot is like, what was the first time you climbed? Like, what was the first big mountain you went on? So I'll start there. And my buddy and I go to Wyoming because he says, hey, there's this mountain called the Grand Teton. And all I had done was climb like 40 or 50 foot climbs as a part of Boy Scouts. And I'm like, oh, I teach rock climbing to these Boy Scouts. I can go climb this Grand Teton. It's just 30 feet after 30 feet after 30 feet over and over and over. So we're 22 and 21 years old. And we can't afford proper gear like cams and quick draws, which is like the stuff that goes into the rock to keep you safe. But we do have a rope and harnesses. So our whole plan is we're going to tie the rope between our harnesses and simul climb together, like climb at the exact same time. And if one person falls, the other person's job is going to be to jump over a rock. And then we just pendulum. And we like told ourselves, oh, yeah, that's totally safe. This is going to work. <laughs> totally idiotic like just this is this this is the shit that we do yeah this is the shit <laughs> this is so so stupid looking back at like the most dangerous possible method of climbing and we get to the summit we also couldn't afford a tent this is something that a lot of people do in two nights three days they walk walk in set up camp climb the thing sleep another night and go back out we're just like well we can't sleep we can't buy a tent so let's just do it all in one shot so after like 19, 20 hours, we do this whole thing round trip, get back exhausted. And I was like, that was the hardest I'd ever pushed myself in my life up to then. And what happened is I learned from the dumb stuff that we did. And I saw that, my gosh, I can like, I push myself. And that was pretty cool that I like saw that I was made of more. And I was faced up against like, you have to do this. You have to get back. I, I found inner strength. So I took that to the next, the, the mountains that followed. I went to Aconcagua, which I talked about earlier. I went to Denali up in North America and took a proper mountaineering course. I started to learn some of the like actual ways to keep myself safe in these big mountains. And now we're talking like 15, 16, 17 days out in these mountains, just surviving on what's on your back and the sledge you're pulling behind you. The most beautiful climb I ever went on was not physically beautiful, but uh, connective beautiful was with my dad we went to Kilimanjaro together it flipped who was the leader in that dynamic in some ways because I'm like dad you wear these socks today dad here's how you tie your shoes so that they don't split apart because they kept you know coming undone I'm like here's how you tie the knot and it, here's here's when you change mitts and you're sweating too much into this shirt so you got to learn layering and it was like this cool transition of him going from the guide to me to me being the guide to him. And mm. in some way, I think that every guy, if he's lucky enough to have his father around, will see that and will go through that same thing. So that was a cool one. And then the last one was, the last big mountain I climbed was Mount Vincent in Antarctica. And just getting down there is like 50% of the adventure. Because you take airplanes that have no wheels, they have skis, you land on the snow, and then like these 
cat tractors roll out of the back of this massive Ilyushin aircraft. It's a Russian airplane. There's only two of them in the world. There's like, they used to not even have seats bolted in. They would just be shipping crates that they would bolt the chairs into. And then the crates weren't attached to anything. So if there's turbulence, the whole, the whole crate with the whole like row of passengers is moving around in the airplane. And then to be left behind by that same plane after it drops you off and you're a thousand miles from civilization and you see the airplane propellers just kind of disappear off into the distance and you stop hearing them and it turns completely silent and you know that you could be there for a month if there's a storm and the plane can't get back to you. And you're like, do I have what it takes to be fully self-sufficient? Yeah. And it's the most mm. beautiful place. All the, the only colors are white, the snow, black, the rocks, and blue, the sky. Those, there were no other colors. And to be in that environment was just like so special. And to wrap it all off by standing on top of the bottom of the world, finishing the seven summits, I was just like, I was filled with life. And it was also very clearing of like, my boyhood is gone. That's done. I'm now going to go be a man in the world. Mm. Yeah, that's that's powerful. That's powerful. And I think... I think that that is something that without sort of being so bold or, or hopefully not to sound so arrogant, that I think that all, all men should strive for at some point in their life to have that clear demarcation, right? And to not let it be something that, that necessarily just arrives, but it's something that they actively pursue, right? That, that it, there's an intentionality to creating experiences where they can say my, my boyhood is is complete you know yeah, like i've yeah. i've moved through that part of myself that wants to go and do not not that you don't want to still go do some crazy shit sometimes oh, I'm right still like gonna i'm gonna do it i want to get on the motorcycle <laughs> with you <laughs> yeah there you go there you go you know and and to have those adventurous pieces like one of my goals is to uh, have a motorcycle and do a big, big trip through, uh, through Europe at some point in my life. That's probably in, in my forties at some point. Um, but uh, you know, to, to have that, I think is so important because otherwise all of our, I think time for men is very interesting, right? We just sort of, this is like one giant arc. And so we have to sort of create these demarcations that signify we're moving through these different spaces, these different chapters in our life. And I love what you're saying because you're sort of saying like this for me was this very clear demarcation that I was moving into this this more mature version of of manhood, masculinity, being a man, right? And uh, that's that's powerful. And the piece about your father is is also important, right? To be able to have that sounds really special. So it, I I actually uh, I feel embarrassed to say this, but I didn't research. Do you have kids? Uh, I don't have kids. Oh, I was going to say where, where that fits in. <laughs> I would, yeah. Uh, the, these journeys were, this actually ties it well into what you're saying right now, because these journeys made relationships strained. Uh, mm -hmm. and often I was climbing mountains going, why, why did it end? And I'm, you know, I'm traveling to the other side of the continent and they don't, people don't feel connected when you do that. So I don't have kids now, but I needed to go through this process to, be ready for that to say, I want kids. That's where I am right now. I'm like, I I have what I believe that is needed to raise healthy, quality, intelligent kids. I have the resources to be able to raise them well. 
And unless you go through that process of your own, not necessarily climbing the seven summits, but that demarcation of boyhood's done. I'm ready to be a man. I'm ready to not take because that's what boys do, but I'm ready to give and overflow and provide. That's what men do. You got to have that line of like, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. And I think I've seen that with a, with a lot of men who are actively avoiding wanting long-term commitment, wanting to be in a committed relationship, wanting to have kids or raise kids, but having this sort of question mark of not feeling ready. And I think what you're saying is a huge part of it, you know, to embark on a journey of sorts. And I remember I challenged one of my clients at one point to, uh, to, to, he was struggling with this. And I said, I want you to plan out just a, a two night camping excursion and you're going to prep, you're going to get the whole Hell thing yeah. ready and you're just going to go out into nature by yourself. And it was the funniest thing. I mean, not, not funny, but it was very revealing because he, we, you know, he planned this whole thing out. And then, uh, the weekend he was supposed to go, I was like, okay, you ready? And he said, yeah, I feel pretty nervous, but I'm going to, I'm going to go do it. And then we spoke next week and he said he got out there and, and was out there, set up the tent and had a complete breakdown, you know, just like started bawling because he realized that he had never connected with this part of himself. You know, he had never connected mm. with this part of him that, that was resilient, that he could rely on. And that's what I hear you talking about a lot is, is cultivating this relationship with your own inner reliability, your own inner reliance. So can you speak to that a little bit of like uh, what it took in some of these experiences to to really have to depend on yourself and to be in that right mindset? Because in a lot of these environments that you put yourself in, uh, your life was on the line, yeah, right? So yeah. I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. The first two that come to mind is I'm climbing Mont Blanc, which is in France and Italy. It's at the border and it's the tallest mountain in um, Western Europe. And a storm comes in and we were too slow because the temperature was too high. So it made the snow really sloshy. And we're crossing this, this ridge line, not making the speed that we wanted. And we had like the storm comes in, hits us and it turns dark. And we try and set up our tent and the pole is broken. Somehow in our backpacks, pole snaps and we can't set this thing up. And we ended up just getting into the tent like it was a like an extra sleeping bag with just the tent like flapping on top of us throughout the entire night. Uh, it's like this little shell of a cocoon that was whipping at us. And there was nobody at all that knew we were there, that was coming to rescue us, that was like even even thinking there was an issue. That's a t like a tiny little example of you got to just know how to take care of yourself. The second one that came to mind was back on that mountain that I mentioned earlier, Aconcagua in South America, the team left and I was confronted with this choice of, am I going to climb higher? Am I going to go back? Am I going to just wait here for maybe they'll come back in like a week and hang out for them? And I look around and I see a few other climbers coming up and there's this old guy looks like Santa Claus. He's wearing this like bright red shirt, huge white beard. And I go up and talk to him because I'm like, that guy looks like he knows what's up. Like he's spent time <laughs> in the mountains, right? And his name's Frank and he's from Germany. Uh, and he sure enough has climbed all over. And he's the guy that I went to climb Mont Blanc with. That's where I met him. 
And just by having this resource, of, uh, this, this self-confidence of I'm going to go talk to somebody and learn what it takes to like handle myself out here, that's a part of competence. Part of competence is being able to ask and learn, right? So mm-hmm. I, I went and spoke to him, and then he, he's like, come out and climb Mont Blanc with me. And we did, and I learned more out there under his tutelage or his training. Um, so self, being able to handle yourself doesn't mean being a lone wolf. Being able to handle, your, handle yourself means being able to ask for help, find resources that are around you, be, uh, have ingenuity for whatever's around. And that's my definition of grit and resilience that you asked for. Love it. Love it. What, what a great way to close. I think uh, if this was like one of those cheesy radio, radio shows, that would have been the moment where like <laughs> we paused, we paused you and there was like clapping <laughs> noises <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so yeah, like, tune goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but seriously, I think that that is, it's, it's potent. You know, I think it's potent and, it, and it's undervalued and under, under indexed in our current society where we as men, often feel like there is an expectation that we need to self-actualize our inner strengths, gifts, and we need to sort of figure it all out by ourselves. And I think what I've learned along the way and what I hear you mirroring is that uh, I love that idea of sometimes asking somebody who is your senior, who is a, a guide that can support you on the journey is competence. You know, and that finding mentorship, finding guidance is a part of competence. And I, I love that reference. And I, I sincerely hope that people take that away. All right, my friend, we're going to have to wrap up here. This, this has been a blast. I, I love how quickly uh, this this interview has gone. We likewise, really, likewise. Yeah, rock through it. So um, t- tell the listeners a little bit about where they can uh, find a little bit more about the Warrior Challenge, your book, and uh, and, and we'll go from there. So the book is available in all bookstores in all countries. It's on Amazon. It's it's global. It's Penguin Random House. So it's like a proper publisher that's putting it out into the world. Uh, I'm personally offering at warriorchallengebook.com. Uh, if you enter your name and email there, I will give you information about how to get a signed insert that I will personally mail to you if you buy the book. Also, you'll get samples of the ebook and the audiobook. I'm the narrator of the audiobook. Uh, and I'm start, I'm creating, and I think by the time this is out, it'll be ready to roll, but a warrior virtual boot camp that I'm, tr- I'm trying to create it as class credit for any, any young man who's at home. And they'll go through these eight quests and I'll bring on a professional skateboarder. I'm going to bring on a Maasai warrior. I'm going to like have these guys on zoom, taking your young man in your life, your son through these quests, um, as a social studies credit. So that's, uh, also available at warriorchallengebook.com. Amazing. Amazing. That sounds like an absolute blast. I would love to be a 12-year-old kid <laughs> going through that. Uh, it sounds like so much fun. John, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Connor. And yeah, thank you so much. And for everyone that's out there listening, um, don't forget to man it forward. Share this episode with somebody that you know is going to find value in it. That might be a parent 
uh, of a young man and, and wanting to understand how to help develop them and support their growth and their initiation and their rites of passage. Uh, and uh, don't forget to leave a rating and review. So until next week, hit that subscribe button, five yeah. stars, smash that five star button. <laughs> there we go. I love it. I love it. Uh, so until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Thank you.